Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. Uh, three parts of this podcast this week. Uh, multiple guests, but I think you're going to enjoy it. First off, we have a roundtable discussion with Robert Littell of Black Sports Online and Neil Best of Newsday. We get into what we will be looking for from all the different networks this year who cover and broadcast the NFL, as well as a uh, pretty deep discussion on the coverage uh, so far of of Colin Kaepernick's signing with Nike and subsequent commercial release. After that is Scott Hansen, the host of the NFL Network's NFL Red Zone. Um, And we get into basically what Scott does, why people are interested in what he does, and who he thinks is watching, and the most memorable feedback that he's gotten so far, which would be Tom Brady coming up to him and telling him that he is a fan of what he does. And then we end with Liam McHugh, who is one of the most versatile studio hosts going today. He works at NBC. He's now part of a football, actually it was before, but he's now uh, the on-site host of Football Night in America. I think a lot of people know Liam from his work, obviously, as the lead host of NBC's NHL coverage, as well as being at the Olympic Games over the last couple of years and Notre Dame. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, irons in the fire. And uh, we talk about just being versatile, which is what Liam, uh, his calling card is, and how it's really uh, forged him a great career. So multiple conversations, multiple guests, Robert Littell, Neil Best up first, then followed by Scott Hansen, then followed by Liam McHugh, all coming up on the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. All right, and as I said at the top, we bring in Robert Littell, a frequent guest of this podcast from BSO, Black Sports Online, and Neil Best who has been on this podcast before, a reporter and columnist, as I said at the top, at Newsday. Rob and Neil, thank you very much for joining me today. And let's just get going right away. The NFL season starts today as um, I am taping this uh, podcast on NBC tonight. It is not Thursday Night Football, but uh, it is Sunday Night Football presented on Thursday. And so, Neil, I want to start with you. Um, And this is very open-ended, but what are you most interested in? this year when it comes to the NFL media rights holders broadcasting the games? Well, for me, I mean, you sort of alluded to the fact today is Thursday, but it's not really Thursday. What, what I'm most intrigued about is when we get to the official Thursday part of the schedule, which with especially, obviously, the Fox exclusive part. I, I'm not Fox exclusive, the part, where, you know, when Fox gets involved with the NFL network. I mean, I'm very interested to see whether Fox and the NFL together uh, along with guys like Buck and Aikman and everybody else involved with that number one team, can turn that Thursday night uh, uh, package into something more than it's been. Obviously, they have a better schedule than in the past. But, you know, there's no question that it's lacked the buzz of Sunday and Monday night, let alone Sunday afternoon. And and, and they're determined, and they better be after all the money they spent, to make that more of a appointment viewing, which it has not been, uh, that that's what I'm most intrigued by. I think it'll help that there's more consistency. Obviously, nobody knew what network was, it was on last year. Um, so yeah, that that to me is the biggest change to watch for. Rob, um, I'm interested to see um, how the networks handle all of the uh, political things that are happening with the NFL. Are they going to just call it straight? Is it you know we just want to talk about football? What's happening on the field? Or would they venture into uh, that realm of, you know, not sticking to, to sports? Um, do they blend that together, especially on the primetime games, the Monday nights, the Thursday nights, uh, the Sunday nights, where it's just one game and we're all watching? Uh, if President Trump tweets something uh, earlier in the day, uh, if a player decides to protest in a certain way, the, you know, what we're talking about later with the Kaepernick ad, 
how are they going to handle that? Are they going to just try to stick to the field, or are they going to give their opinions, uh, true opinions, on, on what they believe about some, some of these certain issues? Um, I think a lot of people, you know, are for and against how they should handle that, but I'm interested to see what they do with it. All right, let's stay on this topic, Neil. Um, and if I want you to follow up on, because this is something both of us have written about a lot. I'll get to sort of what my thoughts are in terms of uh, what I think is going to be interesting this season. Um, but it might even take too long because I kind of find everything interesting. But what's your initial take, Neil, as someone who's, well, both of us have been down this road before in terms of writing about this, of how the networks, particularly in week one and week two, when these stories are always very big, will cover the intersection of um, social justice and the NFL, politics in the NFL, and obviously Colin Kaepernick and um, his now new place um, as a uh, front-facing person for Nike. I mean, I think it's 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 very fair and realistic to expect these networks to deal with those types of things on their pregame shows and, if necessary, on a post halftime or postgame. I don't know if they will. Historically, they haven't done much of it, but they should if if that you know continues to be a legitimate news story it's asking you know they've they've traditionally been a lot more reluctant to do it during games and i think most of the time for good reason uh however if there's something goes on during a national anthem before a game then and you're al michaels or joe buck well yeah you should deal with it in some fashion during the game but you can't stay on it too long because you know they're doing a game that's always been their position and i think it's a fair one to to a point but but certainly if this um if this sort of thing goes on and continues to be a relevant news legitimate news story you it's it's very fair to expect these networks to deal with it on their news programs and certainly on their on their sunday pregame shows or in you know the case of uh, nbc their whatever they call their pregame thing on sunday night rob um I have to be honest with you. I'm um, I'm always skeptical and a cynic when it comes to this stuff. I think the networks, um, particularly those that do not do a lot of sports journalism on a weekly or daily basis, just want to get out of there in terms of these kind of issues. They'll hit it a little bit in their pregame show, as Neil said, and then come game time, they want out of Dodge. What do you expect? What do you expect in terms of, um, let's sort of say specific, I know you, you you're going to be looking for what they're going to do. But the reality is, what do you expect in terms of the coverage from the networks? Um, I expect a lot of passive aggressive, uh, politically correct uh, type of uh, statements. Um, I think, you know, like you said, being a cynic sometimes and actually being a person uh, of color, maybe a little more sensitive uh, to some of the wording and, and how some of the things are phrased uh, by the play by play guys or the commentators or the pregame shows. Uh, but I think they're going to try – I think I think the statement that the NFL put out earlier uh, this week uh, after the, the Nike situation where it was very much right kind of down the middle, uh, I think the networks are going more toward that, where they're going to try to say things, but it's not going to have any meaning or anything behind it. It's going to be very much uh, straight down the middle. And for some, I think, you know, that's what they want. They want to focus uh, on the game that's on the field. Uh, and not those type of issues, um, and they're going to be kind of generic and bland. But sometimes, you know, people's personal feelings uh, do leak out. Um, I've seen that with Al Michaels a, a few times, so I'll be definitely interested to see what he talks about uh, tonight. But for the most part, I, I don't think 
they're going to dip their toe too much on one side or the other. That that well, that, that NFL statement was uh, you know I found it kind of comical. It was you know it didn't it it, it it was a bunch of words strung together that didn't mean anything. So uh, you know the NFL obviously just wants this to go away, which you know maybe would have been a better strategy when all this started is to ignore it all or you know ignore the well ignore the pushback to it. But um, yeah, the networks kind of want it to go away too, so they're going to be as bland as possible too. So here's the two things, Neil. Um, I'd be curious to sort of hear your thoughts here. On the one hand, I, I totally understand the business aspect of if you stay away from these kind of issues and just focus on football, you're always going to get more people interested in your product. And I have no doubt that there are millions of Americans who just want to watch the game and don't want this, um, don't want other things discussed. Counter to that is, I think it's just disingenuous to avoid it. And if you consider yourself any kind of news organization. How do you not address it? How do you not try to examine it? And I would even say including in-game if the situation warrants it. And that's always, as you know, Neil, sort of the um, dichotomy of all this. On the one hand, the best business practice, of course, is to avoid it because that's the way you're going to get the most eyeballs. But on the other hand, if you're a news organization, you really sort of do have a charter to talk about this stuff. And I would consider NBC and CBS news organizations, certainly ESPN is, Fox, at least in terms of now Fox Sports, has made it clear they're not really in the news business anymore. They're only in the opinion business. So in an interesting way, I could sort of give them a bit of a pass. But um, but I, I don't know. I'm just I'm curious on your thoughts on this. You work for a newspaper. You've worked at a place that that sometimes prints uncomfortable information. How do you see it? Well, I mean that depends on the extent to which this becomes you know, remains and uh, becomes and remains newsworthy. I mean, they, if if it's sort of status quo and there's no new developments and it's kind of quieted down the way it was prior to a certain person's rally in Alabama last September, well, then you can, you know, kind of just go along and not worry about it. But obviously, if this uh, if there are uh, increased protests or if there are increased pushback from the president, well, yeah, then as a news organization, you have to deal with it. Which I think for those couple weeks in late September last year. Uh, the networks did deal with it because there was no ignoring it. And then, uh, you know, maybe by week three there of, of it, they were praying it would just go away again. So, yes, you're right. If, if if it is legitimately newsworthy and there are new developments, then they should uh, deal with it in some way. But if but if, if it's quieted down, they have a right to kind of quiet down along with it. And, yeah, absolutely agree. All right. Um, the last thing I want to do, and I'll uh, e- either of you guys can sort of hit on this, and this is very much a um, a sports media, uh, you know, sort of a sports media observation. Is I'm very curious about ESPN because if you want to sort of look at the networks in terms of who had the most um, changes in terms of on air talent, no one more than ESPN. They replaced their play by play person, Joe Tessitore for Joe Tessitore for Sean McDonough. Joe Tessitore has never called in the NFL prior to this year. Jason Witten is a rookie in the booth. He's never called NFL games before this year, and will unfortunately for him be compared to his former colleague, Tony Romo, in terms of uh, quality of broadcasting. And then they created a whole new position for Burger McFarland, field analyst, which has never existed in Monday Night Football. The only holdover is Lisa Salters. Lisa Salter. So for me, that's the one I'm looking forward to, Robert, uh, the most in that every, I mean, that's about as big a change in the, in the you know, 40 plus years of Monday Night Football. Are you, um, are you curious in terms of how that broadcast goes? Well, curious, yes, but I think what they're trying to do really doesn't matter if the games are not what they need to be. Um, I, I do think it's a different dynamic. I, I, we've talked about uh, Booger McFarlane before. I think he should be in the booth and maybe uh, Witten should be in the studio because he seems to, even though he's not in the booth, he seems to talk more 
um, and, and has more, I guess, what you would call, what I like to say, it, it, he breaks it down in a way that the normal fan can understand it a little bit better uh, than Witten. I mean, I think ESPN is experimenting with a lot of different things. They're making a lot of different changes. I think uh, it's very interesting to me because I think ESPN felt like there was this shift and they wanted to be more urban, wanted to be more hip. Um, and then kind of with the, the, the current political climate, uh, they felt like they had to revert back. So everything seems like a revert back to the early 2000s or, or you know, things like that. And I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if, it, if, I'm even, if, if it really even matters. I think in the end, people care about the games and the quality of the games. And I think announcers in, in football aren't as important as baseball or basketball or boxing or fighting sports. And that's just in my opinion. You know, it's 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 actually kind of telling that when you ask me for you know what I think of the changes in TV landscape this year, I, and I go to immediately to Thursday, Fox on Thursday went out. Of course, uh, maybe that speaks to the change in the status of Monday Night Football that I didn't even think about the fact that they had radically changed everything. Maybe that in itself is telling. But uh, yeah, that will be interesting, and I do think Booger McFarland's going to be kind of the breakout star of that group. Now, what they do with that moving forward, who knows? But he's, I think he, there's a high likelihood that out of that whole group, he's going to be the one that people are, you know, find the most interesting. And, um, you know, that would help the telecast, whether they keep him in his little cart for the next 10 years, I don't know. But, I mean, I think he can do, you know, he's going to be a, a very effective. All right. Is there anything else we, uh, we would like to hit up? I mean, I wrote 7,000 words on this, Neil, so I don't need to reiterate uh, – <laughs> my column on The Athletic, but is there anything else that uh, you want to hit on before we move to our discussion? Oh, you know what? Actually, Neil, I will ask you this. Uh-oh. Viewer Viewership. My sense is, again, because of all the trends, court cutting, um, trending down in, uh, you know, all sports trending down and certainly linear television trending down in terms of both primetime and sports, although sports not trending down as much as primetime stuff. Uh, what do you expect from NFL viewership this year? Well, you know, that's what I was going to mention when you asked me what the other issue is. I, I think, um, you know, it, 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 presumably it will continue to slide over time like everything else on television. But until the NFL stops being the most popular, successful television programming that exists, the NFL still has that power, value, cachet that it's had for years now. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to continue to slip, but you have to compare it relative to everything else in the world. And, of course, legalized sports gambling is only going to help. So I, you know, what the exact numbers are, I don't know. But the bottom line is it's still going to be, you know, 4, four o'clock Eastern on Sunday is still going to be the number one show on television, and 8 o'clock Eastern on Sunday night is going to be the second most, you know, valuable, you know, most viewed show on television, you know, period. Even with you know, cable news taking away more viewers than it used to. And, you know, along with everything else on, on, uh, in media. All right, Neil, you're like a regular Greg Hughes and Chris McCloskey. Uh, <laughs> Rob, is there, uh, is there anything you want to add on viewership before we move to Colin Kaepernick? Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like anything, numbers can be manipulated. I think when the NFL wants to make it look like, uh, you know, they're suffering so much, that's why they can't pay Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you know, they can they can manipulate the numbers. But I think viewership, like you said, just across the board is still going to be high. And, you know, with the cord cutting and the streaming and just people having other stuff to do. Uh, but I don't think the NFL is in any danger of extinction uh, from, from the five people that say that they're going to boycott. <laughs> 
Rob, as much as I would love to talk about the shield with you um, and bypass Neil right now, we will talk about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, again, we will save our wrestling talk for down the road. All right, Neil, I want to start with you. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this, to be quite frankly, because there's just so many ways to go. And I know Rob wants to talk about this, but all right, let's just start with the overview. Colin Kaepernick, obviously announced by Nike, um, is going to become one of their most significant front-facing spokespeople. There's already um, commercials out featuring him, but not just him, Serena Williams, some other uh, people in the Nike universe, including some people we haven't heard of, um, uh, disabled athletes sort of overcoming stuff. Um, you know, we all know what Nike is in terms of marketing. Um, I am, um, very much a cynic here when it comes to Nike. Um, I, uh, I think what they do first and foremost is to try to create buzz in the marketplace and to try to get, create people talking about Nike above all. Uh, we've certainly read about their, uh, labor practices globally and they have not been good by any means. And Nike has certainly had its share of athletes who they've sponsored, who have not been great people by any means, but have made um, have made Nike a ton of money. So first and foremost, I think they ran the calculations here, and I think they thought long-term it would be good for business. On the other hand, I give them a lot of credit because I think they knew they were going to get criticized for this, and I think it's a pretty ballsy play to, um, to sort of take on Kaepernick and to, if nothing else, at least uh, champion him fighting against the league in what is an obvious blackballing by the NFL. So that's my sort of preamble, Neil. Um, let's talk about the media coverage of this, which has not just been in sports, but which has been across all the cable networks of, uh, as well. What is your takeaway from what you have seen over the last 48 hours? Well, well first of all, regarding Nike, what Nike did, I hate to disagree with you on both points. Okay. But yeah, they, they obviously have to be cynical because they're doing what's best for their business. But on the other hand, we just talked about how the league – and the networks are trying to, you know, be as bland as possible on this topic and play it down the middle, where obviously Nike has taken a pretty bold position here, even if it is, you know, a, a business decision. So, and also, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to say the word ballsy when describing this, but since of you course. used it, I think I'm allowed to say ballsy, but you, but you beat me to that word. So, it was ballsy. Um, but the, the, the media coverage of it, of course, just helps Nike in terms, in terms of the attention that we realize they're trying to get and the free publicity. So, it's only helped them. I, I mean, the fact that the fact that there has been as much media coverage as there has been about a you know a commercial about you know just an athlete doing a commercial obviously just illustrates the magnitude of this guy's um, visibility and and how polarized the opinions are about him. So the the, the media coverage just reflects. The way media coverage of everything political is these days, which is over the top on both sides, so it doesn't surprise me. But it is, but but you know, if it you know, relative to the the world we lived in a few years ago, I guess it would surprise me. All right, Rob, I, I get you reached out to me because I know you want to talk about the sort of the media coverage of this topic, and I'll just lead you into this. The one thing that is always obvious when it comes to these kind of polarized topics is you can basically guess. Um, at least in the sports media, a lot of times, who's going where in terms of how they feel, what they're going to tweet out, what they're going to say on their television shows. I mean, it's not even an e- it's not even a fun guessing game because it's just so easy to predict it and who's going into what side. Uh, when it comes to your site, and BSO, you are on the web all day, Rob. So you see a lot of stuff online and you see a lot of how this has played out. Over the first, again, just like for Neil, over the first 48, 72 hours, what are your interpretations or impressions of what you've seen regarding the Kaepernick media coverage? 
Well, the, the reason that I reached out to you is, is a lot of times it's, it's frustration. Uh, it's frustration because I think in media and sports in general, I think sports is a game, you know. So there are certain topics and aspects of sports, like, say, the Le'Veon Bell situation. That's a contract dispute. That is players, you know, being petty and going back and forth. And I think you can have strong and silly and stupid and one-way opinions on, on that. And it's not, you know, it just is what it is. You know, it's not something to be, you know, super upset about. But when you're talking about, you know, race and racism and police brutality and, you know, people getting shot, killed, families not, you know, with their kids, and to see certain media people uh, manipulate that issue simply for, you know, be it retweets or likes or or, or websites, uh, clicks or video views, knowing that they know the full information and is choosing not to do it, uh, to see someone like, say, a Brit McHenry, who, and, and, and it's hard for me to even talk about it without getting upset. And I know Brit a little bit, and I know what she's doing, right? And I don't necessarily even have an issue with that because a lot of people manipulate certain things to further their career. But to have the audacity to bring up someone like Martin Luther King, being assassinated in, in a way to attack Colin Kaepernick. To me, that there's lines that are being crossed here. You know, when I see people use, you know, Pat Tillman or Muhammad Ali or fallen soldiers, it just, to me, there's a line that what are you willing to do to further your career, further your website, further whatever your agenda that you're trying to do, um, who are you willing to step on? What grave are you willing to step on, on to do that? And when I, that's what I, when I came to you about that in the first, you know, 48 hours of this happening, that's what the frustration was. I don't mind you saying that when Nike stock is down. Just, you know, tell the truth, you know, that the other stocks are down. You know, be, it, does, it, it doesn't take a lot to be unbiased and tell the full story, regardless of what your opinion is of Colin Kaepernick or the situation. So it's just very frustrating to see people invoke uh, deceased people, heroes, uh, just to either further their career or to be negative about Colin Kaepernick or Nike or whatever it is. And I think it's irresponsible for some of these media networks, be it Fox News. I think it's irresponsible for people like Clay Travis to get jobs on FS1 considering he has no problem and is very comfortable saying to joke about having a, a KKK hood in his laundry and thinks that that's funny. He thinks that's a joke to him, and, but he still fails up. It's that type of stuff, as a, not as even a reporter, it's as a black person that is just upsetting you know, to me. And luckily I have a, an outlet where I can express that, but so many others you know, do not. So that that's really kind of how I feel about the situation. All right, that that's very well said, and I appreciate that. And so we'll get into that a little bit. And obviously, um, you know, you're <laughs> let, let's sort of take um, let's sort of take opportunism and like sort of that um, that subject at the moment. There are a lot of people out there. It is very clear who are um, Rob and I both are really into wrestling. And a lot of people, as the phrase would go, have been going into business for themselves now for a couple of years in terms of knowing what chords to play to get people to retweet them, get people to pay attention to their website, get people to pay attention to their television career. I did happen to see Britt McHenry's tweet 
Um, and I saw Bernice King, who's Martin Luther King's daughter, basically shut that down pretty quick. Um, you know, <laughs> I think there are people who are legitimately conservative out there, and, and I can respect those views. I think there's also a ton of people who are opportunity brokers and race hustling, and I think it's very obvious to see who's doing that. Um, that goes back to what you had said earlier regarding yeah. everyone sort of playing these roles, and predictably so. Uh, right. and, and, and as a result of that, people have, you know, the, a lot of these people have sort of become caricatures of themselves. And, you know, it, it's just indicative of a, the larger picture of, you know, everybody taking sides regardless of logic or facts or decorum or anything. But here's the thing, though, and this is where Rob hits on it correctly. People are getting paid for this. Um, and again, listen, I, I, I'm not pretending here. Uh, I grew up in New York. My mom was a teacher in the inner cities in the 60s before becoming a college professor. She walked in the streets of New York in the 60s protesting civil rights. I am a product of who I am. It is what it is. Hopefully I'm a reasonable person. I can see all different sides, but I'm not going to pretend to run from who I am. It's just when it's, when it's done in disingenuous terms to make money and when it's sort of, as Rob said, aided and enabled by media organizations, that's what's frustrating. Now, again, this isn't, race and this isn't as dangerous but it's it's literally exactly what skip bayless does with lebron james it's a disingenuous or aaron Rodgers disingenuous play enabled by espn and fox sports one and it's done to make money for them by besmirching the character and narrative of these guys now again you could just say ah it's sports whatever these are big boys they can deal with it but it's not it's the it's the larger message and it's the larger philosophy of this and then as rob said now the stuff extends to politics and now this now you you start seeing as i did and all of us did on that day pat tillman being invoked um for colin kaepernick which you really sort of showed your ass there when you did that because you have no idea what Pat Tillman was and is and stood for. And if you've ever talked to Marie Tillman or ever read any profiles from people like uh, my co- old colleagues at SI, Tim Layden and Gary Smith, you'd have a full idea of Pat, Terman, Pat Tillman in terms of how he felt about freedom of expression and stuff like that. So those people showed their ass. I guess, Rob, I, we'll get back to you and we'll sort of finish up on this. I feel like the, the sort of the problem here is, is that it, it, people can be hoodwinked into this. Like, I always feel, I always, like, sort of think to myself, I'm never going to do it, obviously, but, like, I always think to myself, if I did, like, a month or a week experiment as, like, a heel turn, where I just started blasting Kaepernick, LeBron, um, let's try to see what else, went some, you know, said I agree with the president, blasting the NFL players, their SOBs, and sort of just took, like, that kind of path. I honestly think to myself, I, I could gain hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter in a pretty quick amount of time. Uh, maybe the reverse is true. Maybe if, you know, you were sort of doing that and then you heel turn the other way and started preaching progressive uh, stuff, you know, you'd get those followers too. But that's where I always think it's like a total game and it's kayfabe where it's just, it seems like it's pretty easy to get people to buy into this stuff um, because it's like confirmation bias and they just want to be part of the tribalism. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, what do you think? I've talked about this a lot. If tomorrow I decided to say go Jason Whitlock, I'm almost confident that that I would be booked for appearances because a black person in media you 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 would on you would on Fox. I mean, yeah, I can guarantee I, I, that. Yeah, a black person in media who talks you know down about black people is a hot commodity. I bet you I would gain, like I said, I would gain you know followers. Yeah, granted, I would lose some, but to me the the people that are on social media, the the hate and uh, the those type of people, the trolls and stuff, they would come to me because now they have a champion 
you know, who's black to say, look, it's black guys saying, you know, all of this stuff about black people. It must be true. Uh, so I totally agree uh, with that. If you take a, you know, we're all about, you know, what our niche is, in, you know, in this business. And if you take the negative approach, uh, it can be beneficial for you. And then we see that all the time. Like you say, you talk about Skip Bayless. You know, I give Skip credit, you know, because he doesn't really go too far into the race type of thing, just the individual players. You know, but he found a niche, and it, it works for him. You know, every all of these media people, they found a niche. And like I said, for the most part, that doesn't bother me because I understand that that's part of the business. What bothers me is when you cross that that line where you're willing, and like I said, in Whitlock's case, you're willing to throw your entire race under the bus, you know, for, you know, the, the check, as the kids say. Um, and and, and it's, just, it's just a lot. So I definitely feel like if you, it's it, media, you know, when I, when I went to Ohio State as a young, you know, young person, and I wanted to be a journalist, and when I was, I always wanted to be a journalist from the time that I was a little kid. And I was always preached that the part of being a journalist was, was not entertainment. It was being unbiased and getting the story and getting the facts straight and exposing the cover-ups. You know, the real, I was like hardcore. As I got older and into the business, I've learned that, you know, media is, is not that much different than the WWE. It's, it's more personality, more entertainment. And we see that when those people are getting the $5 million, $6 million deals, and the newspaper people and the people that do the hard-hitting stuff, the, the Brett uh, McMurphy's, like, you know, does all this stuff on Ohio State and Urban Meyer, but ESPN didn't think he was a valuable enough commodity, you know, to, to, to their team. But they're willing to give other people million-dollar deals because their personality. I don't know when that shift exactly happened, but the fact that it hasn't changed and we're still going that way is a little disturbing to me. People, young people ask me all the time, Rob, what do I need to do to get in journalism these days to be successful? And it, it pains me to say that, you know, you have to be an entertainer. You have to be interested. You know, just being a good writer, you know, is not good enough you know, anymore in these times. It's just a different, you know, age and time. Well, I will say this. I mean, I do hold out hope for, you know, there are places like ProPublica, uh, Washington Post, where, you know, uh, and obviously a million other places too, athletic, hopefully people think like that, et cetera, where, listen, you could still do good work. You don't have to be a performer, but, you know, at least in terms of television, um, I am like Rob Neal, and yeah, we can, I'll let you finish up before, of course, inevitably, Fox Sports uh, PR doesn't take my calls anymore, and I got blasted from some of their personalities. But, um, you know, inevitably, like, that, this is what cable news is. In 2015, Morning Joe put on Donald Trump uh, how many times, celebrated him as sort of an entertaining, funny guy. And then when the reality sort of, uh, you know, hit the road for those two, they heel-turned on Trump. Um, same thing with CNN. Put him on for, uh, put him on, um, for ratings. In 2015 and 2016, uh, I would argue legitimized them even more than any other network. And then um, when things got tough for CNN, um, they sort of bail out on the fact that uh, they did what they did in 2015, 2016. So what Rob is saying is not wrong and that so much of this is or feels like professional wrestling. But, you know, Neil and I obviously both come from print backgrounds. So, you know, whether it's Newsday or Sports Illustrated or, you know, Washington Post or ProPublica or, you know, places, uh, you know, Marshall Project, places like that. There's still a lot of great journalism being done every day. But, I, I, Rob, I do understand what 
you know, what you're telling kids. And I do understand kids see this, especially in sports on TV. They see people getting rich and they want a part of it. Um, all right, Neil, sorry for that filibuster, but I'll give you the last word well, here. Yeah, well, obviously, right, all three of those cable news networks are playing to their playing to their audiences and are about ratings, not about, you know, well, they, they do journalism, but it's more about the ratings. But just in terms of this Kaepernick thing, I mean, the, the performances on both sides and the positions people are taking and the money they're making off it are a distillation of, of what, what started as a, you know, a protest that got some attention and it was, but for, it had become relatively low profile. And then for politic, for cynical political purposes in late September last year, someone chose to divide the country over it and has maintained, you know, kept those flames stoked for a year now. And, you know, everybody else is just reacting to that and, you know, making their money, making their points, getting their attention off of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully because there's so much attention on it, the positive elements of it can come through and Kaepernick and others can make their point in a way maybe that they couldn't have if it had gotten less attention. However, obviously this has opened the door for people opposed to him and what he's trying to do to have endless attention and make endless, uh, you know, political points or financial points off of it. So, um, you know, here we are. Everybody's uh, like with everything else. Everybody's uh, uh, take, you know, go- going to their corners and coming out swinging, mostly to the detriment of uh, those of us, you know, trying to be in the rational middle. I appreciate that, Neil. That's well said. All right. Uh, I enjoyed this. Thanks, guys, for a lively conversation. Robert Latal is the founder and editor of Black Sports Online. Check him out at BSO on Twitter. And Neil Best is a longtime reporter and columnist for Newsday covering sports media, but not just that. He is, uh, he's covered the NFL forever, I think, back to Sammy Baugh days. So he's one of the, he's one of the top guys when it comes to the uh, – the NFL, check him out. Uh, he is at Sports Watch. At Sports Watch, is there anything else you guys want to add before I uh, I move on to our next guest? I want to know if the Athletic allows Deitch to uh, expense Mike Frances's app for eight ninety nine a month. That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> uh, you know what, Neil? I will say this. First of all, I'm not going to get it, but they would. I actually think that is something I could okay. expense if I made the justification that. I'm going to write about Francesa, but I'm leaving Francesa to you, to you and Trina, okay. Marshan, right. M- Mushnick, and Raceman, and the rest of the New York media posse. All right, Rob Littell and Neil Best, thank you guys for joining us today on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, and uh, as I promised at the top, we bring in Scott Hansen, who you know, of course, as the longtime host of NFL Red Zone. As part of Scott's new contract, he is now the co-host of NFL Network's NFL Total Access Along with Lindsey Rhodes, you can check that out, 7 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Eastern. Scott also, in addition to that, you will see him throughout the year on the NFL Network, um, whether it's the Super Bowl, the Scouting Combine, NFL Draft. He's a, um, he does multiple hosting for them. So his profile in the last couple of years has been, uh, has been raised, and that's, uh, that's good. That's really cool to see good people get uh, rewarded by their network. And Scott Hansen joins us on the Sports Media Podcast Scott, thanks for coming on. Richard, good to be with you again, man, and good to have football back as well. I hear you. Yeah, three years ago we did this for Sports Illustrated. So I like to, Scott, I like updating every three years with you. That's uh, just <laughs> – I, I, I need to get my Scott Hansen fix. Um, That's fine. All right, so here we go. Uh, I'm, uh, I, since I've, I've sort of done your backstory in another podcast, and people can check that out. That's on the SI archives in 2015. Just Google Scott Hansen. I'm going to try to ask you a couple different questions, Scott. And first off is, um, why do you think people are interested in what you do? Why are people particularly fascinated 
by someone who hosts NFL Red Zone? Oh, uh, well, I don't know if they're fascinated with me, uh, but I think they're fascinated with what I do, with what we as an NFL Red Zone staff do, because it's, it's the natural progression of things. I mean, you know this business as well as anyone, and you know the history of it. NFL fans, let me, let me just say sports fans, and then therefore football fans, pretty much a majority of the United States of America has been fascinated with football since it, over, uh, since it passed over baseball as the, the, the American pastime, right? Well, the best way to get the comprehensive look at the NFL has always been fascinating to people. Back in the late 70s, Howard Cosell, halftime highlights of Monday Night Football. It was, you, you had to watch it, right? It was the way we learned about, okay, I know my local team, what, what my local NFL team did, and I can read in the newspaper scores and box scores, but what did it look like? What did it sound like? And people have always been fascinated with getting that. Well, Howard Cosell did it, but it was a day after the games. And then in the 80s and throughout the 90s, you had – ESPN's proliferation and Chris Berman and the guys doing NFL primetime. Absolute fantastic treatment of the 10,000 foot view of the most popular sport in the country. But that was hours after the games were over. NFL Red Zone is the comprehensive look at the most popular sport in the country and therefore maybe the most popular form of entertainment in this country as it happens. And with, you know, the Internet age and everything else, people want it right now. They want to know it immediately because they want to tweet about it right after they've seen it. And they want that that uh, universal experience. I think the guy in Iowa can say, wow, I just saw that uh, Odell Beckham one handed touchdown on red zone at the same time that the guy in Miami is tweeting about it. And, uh, you know, combined with fantasy football and the folks who like to, to dabble with the, with the folks in the desert on point spreads and whatnot. It just makes it, it's an amazing concoction for uh, what, what people have called the best, the best sports show on TV or the best football show. Certainly. Scott, who do you envision is in your audience? Mm, you know what? I, I have tried to gauge it in a lot of different ways. You, it's easy to say, Oh, young males, Young males that, that want that straight injection of football awesomeness, you know, uh, you know, 18 to 35 males. It, it's easy to say that, and that probably is our greatest, uh, our, our biggest demographic. But I have heard from people in that demographic who said, you know what, Scott, I turned on Red Zone for my dad, who, whatever, 50, 60, whatever years old. And he didn't like it at first. But after watching it for one episode, one full rotation of every touchdown from every game, seven hours, no commercials, the best of the NFL, now he wants to turn it on the next Sunday. So I think we've, we've reached out to football fans um, beyond just the standard, oh, I love the Green Bay Packers and I just want to watch the Green Bay Packers. People love talking about football Monday through Friday at their nine to five or whatever their, their regular walk of life is. And when they want to, when they talk about it, they want to be educated about it. They want to be able to have an opinion. And the best way to form an opinion is to have it uh, sampled everything that there is to, to see. And NFL red zone is one stop shopping. If you want to know who the best quarterback in the NFL is, you're not going to find that out by watching Sunday night football or Monday night football exclusively or watching your local market team 
uh, Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern. You will be able to form an opinion on who the best quarterback in the NFL is if you watch NFL Red Zone because you're going to see them all. Uh, so, I think, so I think that appeals to any football fan, and as we know, the demographic of, of NFL fans is wide-ranging. Scott, what are the latest audience numbers on how many people watch Red Zone? <laughs> that's the that's the multi-million dollar question <laughs> actually uh look, i will tell you this they don't tell me how many people are watching the show it is a it is something that's not out in public there are no nielsen ratings for it because there are no commercials nielsen ratings as you well know but and a majority of of your audience right now probably knows this nielsen ratings exist just to to give the parameters for the advertisers and the networks to work out fair rates for uh their commercials doesn't that's not into the equation with nfl red zone uh beyond that NFL Red Zone is produced by the NFL, who ultimately controls the entire product. However, NFL Red Zone, we tap into Fox and CBS because they are broadcasting the individual games and they are partners with the NFL. And obviously they have spent a lot of money to acquire the rights for the, let's just call it AFC and NFC packages uh, respectively. And they don't want to they, they want to have their audience bolstered as much as possible as well. Right. So uh, you could probably do some get digging and maybe get <laughs> get an idea. Uh, I, I, look, I'll say this. I'm quite sure uh, the number has two commas in it. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, they say the question is the first number. That's the question. Exactly. Right. Yeah, like the price is right. What's that first digit there? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, and and it's grown uh, every year. It's grown every year, and there's no reason to think it won't it won't grow again. Even as the landscape of professional sports, football, uh, and and television in general ratings are trending down, uh, most people attribute that to cord cutters and cord nevers and 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 things of that nature. Scott. Um... How much do you think your particular position in NFL Red Zone will be aided as more states adopt legalized sports gambling? Yeah, that's, that's a good, good question. Um, NFL Media, so our whole media group, NFL Network, uh, uh, NFL.com, uh, all, all the different outreaches of, of the NFL that broadcast our sport. We, we do a summit every year in the summer. Um, Richard, you're probably familiar with these. ESPN does something along those lines. And right. I'm quite sure most, most networks do it. Well, at our summit, it's, it's basically, you can think about it like the executives at the network, all of the faces and voices that you see and hear on the air, and then many or most of the producers. So the people who come together to put together the product all come together, and it's a, it's a closed-door meeting. It's not something that the, that the public is, is in on, but it's just us kind of powwowing about, hey, what, what does the upcoming season look like? Here, what are, our new, what are our initiatives? What are our goals? What are ways we can do things better, right? And we do uh, open Q&A sessions. And us, uh, the, the, the talking heads that you see on TV, we had questions for our bosses about, hey, how are we going to talk or how, are, how if we're going to talk about gambling at all now that it's becoming more and more uh, accepted in, in the country and, and legalized for that matter? Um, not 
obviously not universally across the country. And I'll be honest, there, there weren't clear answers. There, there were, hey, this is something that everyone's looking at. Everyone from the NFL league office in New York to us at NFL media to sports fans to the local broadcasters of Fox and CBS and how, how we're going to cover the games. Um, my guess is that that train has already left the station. It's going to be mainstream after a while. And I'd have no problem talking about it. I'm not a, I'm not a gambler and I wouldn't recommend it. I, I know enough about the NFL to know that nobody knows how these games are going to come. And, and, you know, the football is odd shaped for a reason. And that means it's going to take some funny, weird bounces. And, and uh, you know, for those folks who do partake in that, I, I would just say, hey, if it's recreational, that's one thing. If you think you're trying to make money doing it, <laughs> you know, bon chance. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, I, you know, once it becomes fully legalized across the country, and I, I'm guessing that will happen. The states, obviously, or it's at the you know the state level where it'll be determined. Um, we'll probably talk about it. We'll probably talk about it. I mean, we give winners and losers out, you know, in all of our pregame shows and everything else like that. Oh, I think this team's going to win. I think that team's going to win. That's kind of going down that path. It's just an opinion. Well, why not just say, well, I think this team's going to win by five or more points, you know, or I think this team's going to blow them out. That, that type of stuff. Um, as for us on NFL Red Zone, uh, we, we, won't, we won't be talking about point spreads uh, this season that I can foresee. Uh, but again, it, I think it's a week-by-week, month-by-month, season-by-season thing that's changing. And at some point when all of the people on a higher pay grade than me say, yeah, you know what, this is what we're going to talk about now. Then, then we'll incorporate it. And, and, and I love, I'm sorry to give you a long answer on this, Richard, but uh, I love, uh, I think it's one of the best segments in, in, in regular daily sports television, what Scott Van Pelt and the guys at ESPN do on Scott's nightly show, Stanford Steve and the guys, they do bad beats. I'm sure you're familiar with the segment. I'm sure a yep. lot of people that, that have, well, everybody that's watched Scott's show uh, has, has uh, seen it. It's one of the great, features that they do uh, on a weekly basis uh, because it just adds another dynamic to the games. Okay. Yeah, fine. So what? So Alabama, you know, blew out Savannah state in football, but they didn't do it by 55 points. In fact, this garbage touchdown late, you know, that stuff that adds a new level to it. And I think even if you're not gambling on the games, you can find that entertaining and informative and interesting that someone's got something riding on it, even though the, the outcome of the actual game has already been determined. So I could see eventually us or other sports shows incorporating that type of dynamic into it. Uh, that has to do with gambling if and when it becomes legalized and if and when it becomes something that, that the leagues that uh, own these networks and, and mine in particular say, yep, okay, we're green lighting it. But it hasn't happened yet. Scott, uh, for those who watch uh, NFL Red Zone, are there any changes this year in what you'll be presenting to them? Well, season number 10, who'd have thought it? Um, in fact, well, your former employer, uh, after our first season, Sports Illustrated does the, you know, the point after the, the back page for those who still get the magazine. It, it's the, it was the, the, the last uh, column or article in the, in the last page. After our first season, Sports Illustrated dubbed NFL Red Zone 
one of the greatest inventions of the past decade. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of fascinating. We had existed for one year and they had said, you know, it's like the end of 2001, a space odyssey. We, we have seen the stars. It's full of stars. Uh, here we are in year 10. We do have some new things. It's cosmetic, but, but fans will certainly notice it uh, when we fire it up here on Sunday. Uh, we have a new set, a new design, a new area, for, a new desk for me to be at, a new graphics package. Uh, it's still designed uh, with the idea of you're going to get the information, you're going to get it quick and a very palatable uh, uh, ex expression of it from us. It's going to be clean. It, it, you know, the, the sight lines are going to be nice. But you'll see when you see me on camera, it, the studio will look different. It's actually all green screen anyway, or most of it is green screen. So, and I don't appear on camera in a seven-hour show. I think I appear on camera less than two minutes. So it's not that big of a deal for most audience members. But that is new this year. Uh, our core group is still the same, though. Our coordinating producer, Alan Flowers. Our producers of the morning and afternoon games, I say morning, we broadcast out in the West Coast, so the games are starting in the morning, but the 1 o'clock Eastern kickoffs and the 4 o'clock Eastern kickoffs, so terrifically handled by Brian Nettles and Ryan Yunt, our producers. J.D. Hansen is our director, no relation to yours truly, uh, but he's back, and, and uh, so the same crew and the same, same passion and the same fire we have to, to bring what everyone's going to be talking about on Monday you will see live or seconds after it happens on NFL Red Zone on Sunday. That's our mission. All right, a couple more here. Um, last December 10th, so December 10th, 2017, here's what you tweeted. I just took my first bathroom break in four years, <laughs> and then I tweeted about it. The fascinating thing about this, Scott, is that that tweet was retweeted by 7,000 people. What does that say? 7,000 people. Yeah, 7,000 yeah. people, as of this uh, recording, have retweeted that tweet what do you think that says if anything oh, okay now now i'll circle back to your first question which is why are people fascinated by what i do and then maybe why are people fascinated with me to the extent that anyone might be fascinated but i mean you know seven thousand retweets on a bathroom break tweet do kind does kind of indicate that there is some <laughs> some type of um of yeah, maybe morbid fascination with the, uh, you know, the requirements it takes to put on a seven hour show with no commercials. I think people are fascinated by the idea of here's this voice and, and really a disembodied voice uh, for most of the time. As I just said, I'm on camera for less than two minutes in a seven hour show. So it's really my voice that people respond to. And people have said, and I, I'm not really crazy about talking about myself, but for the sake of, of doing this, and I recognize that what I do is a very, very public, high-profile position uh, just in general, but certainly within the business of sports broadcasting. Um, people have said that I'm, I am the soundtrack for their NFL season. That humbles me. And, and that just kind of, I mean, my eyes are wide right now, even recounting, you know, what people have told me in that regard. Um, so I think what, what, what the bathroom stuff happens, and, and it is true, by the way, for those who are listening and don't believe it, there are still people who do not believe that I go seven hours without stepping away from my perch. Uh, it is true. I, I've taken one bathroom break in the last four plus years. It was there, uh, you know, last season. And uh, I think people are fascinated with, with, with this. When you watch NFL Red Zone as a fan, 
you sit on your couch, right, and you are locked in. One o'clock Eastern, boom, the lasers come on. My my niece and nephew call it the laser show because we start with the, the special effects and whatnot. Uh, when we start at one o'clock Eastern, you are dialed in. You've got your beverage. you got your snacks. You are so fascinated to watch all the games, to watch your fantasy team in action, to see if your, your, your payouts, if you put a couple shekels on the game, are going to happen or not. And you go for four hours, maybe five hours, and you don't leave your couch. But at some point, nature calls, and you have to get up. You don't, as a fan, you do not want to get up. And why don't you want to get up? Because the way we produce the show is it's like a great action movie. It's not necessarily all constant action, but the feeling of the next great piece of action is always right around the corner. And you literally don't want to get off your couch and go to the bathroom for two minutes and come back for fear of missing something. But eventually nature wins out and you run to the bathroom real quick, do your thing. You come back and you sit down and you still hear this guy, me, talking. So at some point you're like, wait a minute, I just went and took a pee. When does Hanson go and take a leak? And, and I think everybody feels this and everyone feels like they're the first person who's ever thought of this. And that's why my Twitter timeline, every other tweet that I get from people after shows is, hey, my girlfriend and I want to know, when do you go to the bathroom? Oh, hey, have you ever done? And, and everyone thinks like they're the first person that's ever thought of it. It's a common denominator. Everybody does it multiple times a day. And no one can believe that someone goes through this and especially uh, especially expends the energy that I expend hosting a show in the way that I do it without without leaving. Uh, but I, I value my profession more than I do my biological requirements. And so I dehydrate myself on Saturday night and Sunday morning and push through most every show. Uh, All right, two... one, one last thing on that, Richard. One sure. last thing on that, if I can, because it's kind of funny. And this just speaks to how unbelievable uh, that element of what I do has just hit a touchstone with the entire viewing public. So we're NFL Network, right? ESPN, obviously one of their most popular shows, PTI, right? Pardon the interruption. I, on Sunday, uh, you had the date there. I don't remember exactly what the date was. But on, on that Sunday, I tweeted out, I just took a bathroom break. You know, all these thousands of people couldn't believe it. It's, it's my most retweeted and most liked tweet that I've ever had in the time that I've owned a Twitter account, which is, I don't know, 10 years now or whatever it's been. The next day, Monday, on PTI, you know how they always start their show. Pardon the interruption, but I'm like, Will Bond, Tony, da 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 and then Tony makes a quip, and they start their show. What did they do on the day after? Now, this is after all the NFL games have been played. There was amazing plays and different dramatic storylines in the NFL and everything. It was, pardon the interruption, but I'm like, Will Bond, Tony, your boy, Scott Hansen from NFL Red Zone, took his first bathroom break in four years. What do you think about that? And Tony said, amateur, you got to keep the iced tea jug underneath the set. And he holds up an iced tea jug, but um, bum and they, and they start their show. But think about that. The fact that some guy doing a TV show took a bathroom break and tweeted about it, and everybody watches the show and, and experiences, I guess, the same thing, the, the scenario that I described to you earlier of not wanting to get up off their individual couches, led of an extremely viewed television show on another network you know, the day after it, it, it boggled my mind that, that it's that it's that type of, of response. But that's that's where the, the world in which I live <laughs> shows the uh, the power of that show. Uh, all right. So let's uh, 
Let's finish up on this. I think I feel like I read either this week or in the last couple of weeks that one of the people who came up to you to mention uh, your work was Tom Brady, quarterback of the Patriots. Yeah. So it got me thinking, yeah. what is the most memorable bit of feedback you have received and from whom? Woo. Um, you know, the Brady thing, if I could just tell that story real sure. quick, is, is pretty remarkable. Um so one of my duties, I, you know, as you described, I, I obviously NFL Red Zone is what everyone knows me from. I guess that's the yeah, that's the number one thing. But I have other jobs, you know, for and through my work with the NFL, and and one of those is I host uh, what used to be called Super Bowl Media Day, which used to be on a Tuesday afternoon of Super Bowl week. Now it's called Super Bowl Opening Night. They moved it what two or three years ago. They moved it to prime time on Monday of Super Bowl week when the teams arrive on Sunday or Monday the first thing they do is have their quote-unquote media day well I host that now they they let fans in they sell tickets to it there's thousands of people in whatever arena or whatever venue they want to hold it in uh and so part of my duty in hosting that is I get to introduce the team captains for the competing teams for the Super Bowl. Well, for the last two years, the Patriots have been there from the AFC. Tom Brady's a captain, so I introduce them. And we do this little thing on stage where, you know, I introduce them. Please welcome from the NFC champion, Atlanta Falcons, team captains, Matt Ryan, da-da-da-da-da. And from the AFC champion, New England Patriots, Tom Brady, da-da-da-da-da, and the head coach, right? So I do this, and and they have the – the Lombardi trophy there and it's a photo op and everything else like that. Well, as soon as we finish that segment on TV, the lights go dark and we go to commercial and the players walk off and they go on to their next thing. Well, so two years ago, two Super Bowls ago, uh, I finished this, the lights go dark on the stage and the players are walking up the stage, but I get a tap on the shoulder. I turn around and it's Tom and I, you know, I've known him and he's known me for, for years, you know, covering him in the NFL but I wouldn't say we're particularly close. I, you know, we are friendly, but I wouldn't say we're really friends. But he goes, he goes, Scott, I just want to say you do a great job on red zone, man. And I'm thinking, wait a second. This, a, this guy is being peppered with questions. It's media day. He's preparing for, you know, the next biggest game of his life and all that. And the fact that he would stop and, and say something, I was like, wow. And I recognized, dude, this is the greatest of all time doing this. It's pretty cool. But it also flashed through my mind. I'm like, when are you watching? I mean, I know you, you play a Monday night game here and there or a Sunday night game. Maybe you can watch on Sunday. And then I was like, two Super Bowls ago, I was like, oh, yeah, you were suspended for the first four weeks of the regular season. <laughs> so he got, to watch a, he got to watch a month's worth of NFL Red Zone. And I think that goes back to uh, his kids are now, the oldest of his kids are now getting old enough where they're into football. And I think they play fantasy football as a family. And so, well, if Brady's sitting on the couch, if he's playing on Monday night or he's on the bye week or whatever other reason he can watch on a Sunday afternoon, he's flipping on NFL Red Zone. And I did kind of think, I don't get starry-eyed anymore, but I did kind of think, wow, that's pretty cool. And then this last Super Bowl, he came back up to me and he's like, it's my favorite show on TV, man. And I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. That it is, is pretty cool. So I would say that that's a big uh, a bit of feedback. I was also told, by the way, that uh, we and, – and I didn't have this confirmed from on high, but I was told that NFL Red Zone is watched on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue in the White House. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know that was, that, that was the case in the last administration. I'm not so sure in this administration, but I have been told that we've been on in the White House, uh, and I think that's kind of cool too is that I might be uh, – entertaining the most powerful man on the planet.
Yeah, it might be uh, CNN, Fox and Friends, Red Zone for this White House. But, <laughs> well, um, in the current administration, in the last administration, <laughs> I think he, he was more of a pure sports fan in that regard. And, and so uh, President Obama uh, probably checked out every touchdown from every game occasionally. Yeah, and I'm, I have no doubt that George W. too would have been checking out Red Zone as well. Oh, too, and too, he would have been absolutely. Yes, two, sir. Two big sports fans. All right, Scott Hansen is, of course, the... Um, uh, the host of NFL Red Zone and has been for a decade now. He's also the co-host of the NFL Network's NFL Total Access, along with Lindsey Rhodes to catch that 7 p.m., 10 p.m. weekly on the NFL Network. Scott, uh, along with uh, some number in the millions, I will be watching you over the course of, uh, over the course of this season. Uh, appreciate your work very much, and, uh, and thank you again for the time. Have a great year on the NFL Red Zone. Richard, appreciate it, buddy. And uh, let's not make it three years again, huh? All right. As stated at the top, Liam Q serves as a host on some of NBC Sports' most high-profile properties and events. Those include Football Night in America, NBC's NHL coverage, Notre Dame football, and, of course, you've seen Liam at the Olympic Games both summer and winter. And Liam Q joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. Appreciate you coming on today, Liam. No, thanks so much for having me. All right, Liam, let's start here. Open-ended question. What are the most important skills for a sports television studio host to have and why? Ooh, I think uh, right away you have to be able to listen. Um, that, that's a huge, huge part of this uh, because I think the best moments in a lot of, especially live event hosting, are the moments that are uh, completely unscripted when – uh, you ask a question of one of your analysts, they say something that's completely unexpected, and now that rundown and that format that you have for the show gets torn up, and you're just going back and forth. And if you miss something like that, and you decide, oh, there's video we have to get to, and there's a you know a uh, soundbite that we have to get to here, rather than taking advantage of those moments, you really lose something in the broadcast. So I think listening, uh, first and foremost, uh, is the number one thing that you have to have. And then I think uh, for my role, you have to, I mean, you have to, you have to research, you have to read everything you can possibly read. Um, Watch, obviously you have to watch as many games as you possibly can, but it's really, to me, it's about reading and it's about reading uh you know, not just the game notes that you're going to get from research, and uh, but all the beat writers, all the local stuff that you can get your hands on. Um, and I think the idea is you need to go into a broadcast. And this is the difference, I think, between live event hosting and live event play-by-play, which is you certainly don't need to know as much as the play-by-play people, but it helps if you do. You're not going to use it all. And what you have to get through your head is that you want every piece of information you can possibly have just in case that moment comes up where you can use it. But then you have to know that just because you have the information does not mean that you have to cram it into a broadcast. Um, you know, and, and I think as a host, you have to realize, you know, the show is not about you. It's about your analysts and getting the most you can get out of them, their perspective, their insights. One of the things that's interesting about you, Liam, is given the amount of properties that you work on, you have, in the last, let's say, decade, worked with a ton of different studio analysts, both different genders, um, different ethnicities, certainly different um, different sports interests. 
How important when you're establishing on air those on air relationships is off air? And having talked to a lot of broadcasters, I know that there's a big belief, at least in some, that you have to figure out a way to have some kind of relationship away from the camera so it works on camera. So in your um, so for you, given just how many different analysts you work with, even in a given year, how do you approach that? Yeah, I think that's that's crucial. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I don't think you can fake it necessarily on air. Uh, I know people have, um, and I, I have, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, when you're with someone new, you try to fake, you know, not fake, but like, you know, let people believe that you have a little bit more of a relationship than you do. But I think you, you have to sit down, you have to talk to these people, try to get to know them a little bit. Uh, sometimes that's a little bit more difficult than other times because you're literally just meeting and you're going on the air soon. And certainly with the Olympics, uh, it's a little bit more difficult because you're meeting these people uh, very close to the event and often it's on uh, something that you're not necessarily, uh, you know, accustomed to covering. Uh, but I think there has to be a trust. And part of that also has to be, um, you know, who is the more experienced in this situation? And, you know, when I came into hockey, uh, I was working with Mike Milbury and Keith Jones. I still work with them now. And I was new to the sport. I mean, I was a casual fan of the sport, but it was not something that I'd covered. And, you know, I let them know that I'm not coming in here to tell them how to do the show. We're not going to, you know, change it dramatically based around me. I want their insight. I want, uh, I want to learn from them. And I was lucky because I had a couple of guys who were really willing to teach me throughout that process. Uh, at the Olympics, sometimes it's the other way around. I've worked with, uh, I did hockey at in Sochi and I did women's hockey, Natalie Darwitz, who, uh, recently it was announced would be in the USA hockey hall of fame, but she was very new to TV. She was a little nervous at first and she was, and I told her, I said, anything you need to know, any question you have, anything you're uncomfortable with, let's just talk this out beforehand. Um, you know, I, I always say it to my researchers, um, when I ask them a question that sounds like it's a stupid question that I'd rather be embarrassed in that room in front of them than embarrassed on television in front of hundreds of thousands or potentially millions of people. So I try to say that to my analysts too. You know, if you're nervous about something, if you're unsure about something, just ask it now. Um, you know, no one's going to judge you here, but if we can work it out, then you don't have to be judged on TV. So it's different. It's challenging. And it's also a lot of ex-athletes. So you're talking about people who definitely have egos, but I think in general, if you can get them away from things, settle down, you have a conversation before you go out, you have a good plan and you don't put them in uncomfortable situations uh, unless they kind of know where you're going with it. You're not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to force anything out of anyone. I, I want the best of what they can bring. And I think when you tell people that's your goal, they tend to relax a little bit and it's a little bit easier to work with them. Before I ask you about some of the specific things you work on, um, this is something I wanted to, when I knew I was going to have you on, this is kind of interesting to me. For someone who works on really high-profile events, I mean, when, you, when you're a host at the Olympics, no matter what the day part is, you're talking about millions and millions of people watching you. If you have a role um, in the NHL Stanley Cup Finals, no, it's not the Super Bowl, but you're still looking at six, seven, eight million people uh, as a lead-in uh, prior to the game. Obviously, we all know what the NFL viewership is. But Liam, I'll be blunt. For someone who has those kind of high-profile events for a studio host, you are decidedly low-profile. I don't see you um, necessarily blasting opinions left and right on Twitter. I don't see you necessarily hawking yourself. 
Um, you don't seem to be a self-promoter. Perhaps your agent would not be happy with that, but that is the truth. So I, I just wonder, I wonder why. Is that your personality? Are you someone who, you know, you sort of, you, you got a life away from television and, and that's your life, but you've always struck me as a guy who does not, um, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it, push his brand necessarily outside of the time you're on the air. One, is that an accurate statement? And two, if it is, why? I think it's fair. Um, I think uh, my wife and I talk about this a lot. And I I think uh, I'm a fairly private person who does a public job. And I've come to grips with that. Um, But I'm not necessarily someone who's looking to overshare things about himself. Uh, You know, even the few things that I put on uh, social media about uh, my family, uh, you know, usually they get good responses. I have little kids. They're cute. You put a video about them. You get a lot of uh, people hitting you back and it's almost all positive, but I'm always a little reluctant. I mean, uh, and I think it's just natural for me. I'm, I'm a private person. I also think that, uh, just because I'm not blasting opinions out on Twitter all the time, doesn't mean I don't have them. Uh, and I think that goes, uh, for a lot of people. I mean, and I think there is this school of thought that if you're not putting an opinion out there every five seconds, you just don't have one. That's not the case with me. I mean, I, I plenty of opinions. I don't, I don't share them necessarily on social media, I would also say that if I have a good line about something, and it's funny, I remember this is a while ago and social media has advanced rapidly since then, but I remember watching The Daily Show uh, when John Stewart was still hosting, so it was that long ago, and people had asked him, I guess, you know, why he had not, uh, you know, why he's not on Twitter and why he's not putting things out there, and he said, because I have a television show, and if I have something great here and I think it's going to work – why would I put it out hours in advance? And I know it's a different uh, group of people who are going to see it, and maybe it's more, and maybe it could promote you. But I really feel the same way. Uh, and I feel it's funny. I feel the same way about uh, rehearsal when we rehearse before we go on air. And it depends on what show I'm doing. Sometimes we rehearse a lot. Sometimes we don't rehearse that much. Uh, there are things I don't want to say during rehearsal because I want a spontaneous uh, response from the people I'm working with. Uh, be it a funny line or a follow-up question. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just my personality to not be like that. And right now, no one's pressured me to, which is great. And I think NBC is comfortable with the level that I'm using social media, comfortable with the fact that I'm not out there promoting myself. And, you know, I feel like I'm doing okay career-wise. So if I don't have to do it at this point, I'm not going to. Liam, from your perspective, how would you describe your role this year on Football Night in America? Well, I think it's uh, pretty similar to what uh, Mike did last year on Football Night, which is, uh, you know, I'm the onside host. But I would say that this year, if there's anything different for me, uh, it's that, listen, if you're an onside host, you really want to bring the energy and the atmosphere. That's the whole idea of it of you being there is to bring that to the viewer at home. You're in the studio and there's analysis and those guys are going back and forth and they're chatting, but you want to bring the people to site. And I think what we're going to do this year, uh, you know, in talks I've had with Rob Hyland, our producer is to really bring people inside, which is we have that big desk there. It's going to feel odd if I'm sitting at that desk alone quite a bit. I mean, I, I think when Bob Costas was there, and he was opining on things. It was a little bit different. Even Mike Tirico, who obviously is a much bigger profile than I do, when he's sitting there alone, it's a little bit different. You're like, oh, what's Mike going to say here? 
I think in a way, if I'm sitting at that desk alone too often, it kind of looks like people didn't show up to talk to me. So I think it's like, oh, God, they must have had people booked. And they were like, wait, Liam's hosting? He's not, I guess they're not coming on. So I think the idea for me is, let's move me around the stadium. I'll be at the desk occasionally. I'll certainly talk to uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, get the whole show started that way, get everybody ready for the game. But otherwise than that, it's what's unique about this place. Is it fans? Is it a part of the stadium? And let's move me around. You know, right before we do on-field live, why not get me right down on the field right next to these players so they can see how close we are to the action. I can bring you right there. And I think that's what's going to be different about this year is if you're at home, I want to bring you from your house right into that stadium. Liam, um, it's, there's been a lot of press, obviously, about Bob Costas in the last couple of months. And he was pretty, um, you know, Bob, given sort of his uh, standing in the business, his fame, his gravitas, we're always not not afraid to sort of voice his opinion about different things in sports, particularly um, how he felt about the NFL. Um, that's not something tr- traditionally viewers have seen from you. Do you think it's going to be a very dramatic, I don't know, I guess content-wise feel going from uh, Bob and Dan Patrick to you and Mike Tirico? Uh, I mean, it's definitely going to be a different feel. Um, I, I, I think that's, I don't know if it's going to be dramatic, but it's, it's going to be different. And uh, Bob has certainly never shy about voicing his opinion. I think if you watch me on hockey, um, I'm someone who, uh, you know, while I'm not out there to give an opinion, I'm not afraid to give one. Uh, do I think that's something that I'm going to necessarily do week one on football night? No. I mean, uh, I think the idea is the, the show is working. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm not going to make it about me. Uh, but I would say if something happens and it warrants uh, me commenting on it, I'll be there to do it. But it'll be different. There's just no doubt about it. Um, and I would say from the studio, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different dynamic between two analysts and a host. Uh, Dan Patrick is a you know mega personality, and he obviously had a specific rapport with Rodney and Tony, and that's going to change you know, with Mike. But I think in general, I, I, I think the show is going to be a little bit different, but uh, I think it's more of a live feel to the show. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it fast. Uh, let's keep you interested in things and hit topics and then move on. But that being said, I mean, I think if something newsworthy happens, uh, you know, we'll be there to handle it. But yeah, I mean, uh, naturally when you have a legend like Bob move on, it's, it's going to be different. But uh, as for how different, I think that remains to be seen. Liam, in uh, 2010, you started as the lead studio host for NHL Live. I think I have my dates right on that. Um, was it, did you, is that the first year you did the Stanley Cup playoffs and finals as well? So it was 2011 I did the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. That was the uh, Bruins uh, and Canucks in the final. Gotcha! Wow, the Canucks! How how the might how the mighty have fallen? Jeez. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so there, I'm, I want to get a sort of a time frame on this because, you know, you joined the NHL at a period where, um, you know, they were getting some momentum in 2011. First of all, thanks to the NBC 
um, deal. But the NA, being part of an NHL studio show or the main NHL studio show in the in the United States in 2018, that's a far different proposition in 2011, especially as the contract eventually is going to come up. Did you? I mean, did you and or your representatives sort of look at hockey like thinking, man, if I can get on this, maybe this thing's going to really be in a good place seven, eight years ago? Or was it just happenstance that that's how you got on for NBC? And now at 2018 with the Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid's and hockey seemingly heading in a really good direction, you were just fortuitous to be part of that. Oh, I mean, I, I think you're giving us a lot of credit if uh, we have this all out and planned i mean i i think you know if you go back even a little bit further uh i was with versus uh on a show called the dip on a show called the daily line which uh uh did not work out so uh but it was right around the time that uh tomcast and nbc were uh merging and we were i was still under contract when the show was canceled uh you know and i think they were trying to figure out what exactly to do with uh, some of us and they wanted to add an NHL show. And I started working because I was essentially under contract. I was working NHL uh, for them doing NHL overtime at that point. And it was really, I think a trial run. And for me, it was like sink or swim. I remember uh, my wife and I, uh, we'd moved to New York, you know, not long before that Uh, we'd finally got an apartment in the city and I was like, all right, I guess I'm hosting NHL. I better learn this and know what I'm doing or we're not going to be able to pay our rent. So uh, it was a lot of like cramming and doing it and getting, uh, you know, getting it on air and hoping that people liked it. And so it was not something where it's like, Hey, listen, if uh, we get the NHL in years from now, this could be a big thing. It could be big for me. I, I, I was really at that point, just, you know, trying not to sink. And uh, I think as I, went along with NBC and extended my contract. A big part of it for me was, yeah, I mean, I, I see growth in the NHL. I enjoy doing it as well. But I think that's another thing. When people keep asking, you know, people ask me, they're like, hey, you were new to the NHL. Was it always about, you know, doing it and moving on and trying to get something else? And I think maybe at first I thought that in the back of my mind that if this goes well, I could maybe move up the ladder. I could do other sports. But uh, as you do a job, I think a big part of it becomes uh, how much do you like the people you work with? And I love the people I work with at the NHL. Uh, and I, I love doing games for them. So uh, I wanted to stay on because, uh, you know, it was something that I felt strongly about. I, I truly enjoyed doing. And, yeah, I think the sport is growing. It's a lot more exciting now. And you have a lot of young players who are uh, on the come that are going to make this sport grow for, you know, years and years. So it was not part of any plan at the beginning. It really was the type of thing where, hey, this is your chance. Try not to blow it. And maybe, uh, you know, you could have a nice career here at NBC. I understand this is a decision a million times above your pay grade. I'm still going to ask it. Any- I'm still going to ask it anyway. Um, if you had to guess right now, do you think your company is going to retain the NHL rights or at least make a, a major attempt to do so? I don't know if they will. I think make a major attempt to do so um, because I think it means a lot to them. And uh, I know that, you know, we have a lot of people that believe in the sport and not only believe in it, but, you know, believe in what we've done for it and how we've helped grow the game over the last uh, few years and people who uh, truly just love the game and want to be a part of it and want to broadcast it. So 
Uh, I believe we'll make a major play for it, and my hope is certainly that we keep it. But that being said, I think when you have success with the sport, when you help grow it, it becomes more attractive to other people. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are obviously some pretty aggressive bids from just about everywhere else. Uh, what the NHL does, uh, it's kind of a mystery. Uh, but I would hope that we at least retain some piece of it. If we can retain it the way that we have now, that'd be great. Um, but I, I, I do, I believe that I believe strongly that this company cares about the sport and that we will make a major push for it. What's the best thing you've been a part of on air at the Olympic games? Ooh, wow. That's a good one. Uh, at the Olympic games, the best thing I've been to that I've been a part of is in Sochi, uh, USA against Russia, Putin in the building, uh, that, um, just almost indescribable atmosphere where it's, uh, uh, tension and this idea of you are more than way more than rivals doesn't really describe the level of animosity between these two teams. And then for the way, uh, it finished, I mean, you know, it's a different rule in the Olympic games where if you get into the shootout, you can have, uh, the same person go over and over and over. And to see TJ Oshie, uh, a guy who, you know, us up in the hockey booth, we realized that he was probably on the team for this moment. He might've been a bubble player selected, but he was on that team because he was so good at this one skill that it was, you know, he could do other things and you should probably carry him anyway, but this is his moment. And to watch a guy go from someone who is recognized in his sport but probably unknown by the average American to internationally famous in the span of a few minutes. Uh, that was just incredible. Uh, one of the, you know, and, and looking at your analysts who for the most part are not blown away by anything. They've seen everything and anything in the sport. And they're just making faces like, like they can't believe what they're just, you know, what they're watching. That was pretty uh, amazing. Otherwise, that it's the moments that stand out for me are the interviews I do, and uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to twice interview Kayla Harrison, uh, who won gold in judo at the past Summer Games, uh, and truly one of the most, uh, you know, just incredible people and one of the strongest people uh, I've ever interviewed in my life. Uh, yeah, that T.J. Yoshi. Yeah. Sequence was incredible. All right, um, a couple more here. One of the things that uh, has been your calling card, Liam, is versatility. Um, you know, I mentioned some of the stuff you've done. You've also done the Tour de France. We haven't even gotten to Notre Dame. You'd be on Football Night in America, lead host in the NHL. So versatility is certainly one of your calling cards. But here's what I want to ask you. If you were talking to young people today, do you think versatility in terms of those who want to go into sports broadcasting is a valuable skill versus those who want to specialize in something because there's 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 something very different let's say from you to a um you know I don't know an Adam Schefter or somebody like you know somebody who's really sports specific although actually that, that's a bad example because Schefter does NBA but I think you know what I'm getting at is the mm -hmm. is do you think you've been re have you been rewarded for versatility or uh, is there more rewards however you want to sort of define rewards for being a sports specialist? Uh, I think there's pros and cons in both. Uh, I, I do, because I think versatility has, has certainly worked for me. I don't think it's worked for everyone, but I think it's worked for me. Um, and I, I'm not even sure why, but it, it, it's worked for me, but I've also been attached to hockey while being able to do other things. You know, uh, I think there are other people that you can point to, you know, and 
who have done many different things, but maybe haven't been like the lead host of something. And because of that, uh, you know, perhaps they're not as secure in their position. Uh, I think versatility is hugely important because uh, I think this, uh, as we've seen over the last few years, you, this is a type of job where it's largely unpredictable. I mean, and there were some people that, uh, certainly people who are out of work now that, you know, a few years ago you would have said were, you know, near the top of their profession or very skilled. Um, but I think if you're now, you want to be out there and you want to look for jobs and you want to market yourself, versatility is something that'll help. Uh, that being said, I, I understand what you're saying because I feel like there are moments where if you are so synonymous with your sport, it seems like you need to be employed. You need to be a part of it. Uh, so someone will find you a job and find you a position. Uh, I think while you're young and coming up, being versatile is probably more important. Maybe as you get older, being synonymous with a sport is more important. But I think if you're looking for a job and you're on the way up and you're coming out of school and you're just hoping for a job, which let's face it, that's what everyone is. And we're all competing. And I remember uh, being turned down for like 20 jobs before I got a local job in Terre Haute, Indiana, doing news and high school sports. Uh, being versatile is, I think, way more important at that level. You uh, you just referenced you worked in Terre Haute. You mentioned earlier, I think uh, you were in Oklahoma City, or maybe you mentioned that to me off the air. You're a University of Buffalo graduate, something I can relate to. Um, and uh, so you, and now you're in, uh, I mean, the metropolis that is Long Island. So um, you have uh, you've you have you have uh, you've lived in different parts of this country. Um, some pretty unique places, including um, uh, both, uh, I'd say, significantly liberal and significantly conservative. So you're 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 a good person to ask this. Do you have any um, Do you have any um, in, in given the different markets that you've worked? Um, are sports fans by and large similar, or are sports fans really uniquely different based on where they are? Well, I think I grew up on Long Island. And uh, the big difference I could tell you about, and I mean, I think, you know, you're familiar with this as well. When you go to Long Island and you're in the New York area, especially outside of Manhattan, uh, sports fans, I think, are passionate, but they are uh, pro sports centric and you're not going to get that college passion. Uh, it's funny. I uh, have a neighbor who uh, is from Iowa and now lives out here on Long Island and she was all pumped up for college football season. And she put her Iowa banner outside her house because she wanted to display that proudly. And people, uh, you know, her neighbors were walking by and they were wondering, they're like, what is that? Why do you have that up there? That doesn't make any sense to them because uh, college sports is just, you know, it's really not that big around here. But I think by and large sports fans are pretty similar in that they, uh, I don't know, I think they're excited. Like at certain parts of the season, they, 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 you know, there's that feeling right now where, uh, you know, football is about to start. It's about to become fall. Well, it doesn't feel that way on Long Island because it's like 95 with 100 percent humidity and everybody's sweating through their clothing. <laughs> but uh, I think there is that, that sense of anticipation that everyone feels right now. Uh, I think that some are a little bit more optimistic than others. I grew up in New York, uh, son of a Mets Jets fan. Uh, you know, we're waiting for something awful to happen. Uh, something terrible. We're going to be disappointed. While I think maybe sports fans 
Uh, and other areas are perhaps, you know, if you're, I don't know, if you're in Alabama right now, college football is about to start, you probably just assume that, you know, things are going to work out. The team's going to be great, and we'll be right there in the college football playoff. But uh, I think what you get is the difference in passions. And here in New York, maybe you get the passion about the Yankees, and you certainly have a big baseball town and pro football. But I've lived in Oklahoma, and I remember how hardcore Oklahoma and Oklahoma State fans were about college football. And it was uh, – it's religion. It's uh, something that people got into fights over, It's uh, and often. And it's – I remember uh, my father came to visit me in Oklahoma, and I wanted him to experience an Oklahoma football game, and they were playing – I don't know, it was like uh, – tune-up game base. I think they're playing Utah State at that point. Uh, this was years ago. But my dad was wearing, uh, you know, as as dads tend to do, uh, someone gave him a free hat, so he wore it. And it was burnt orange. Uh, it wasn't Texas, but he was wearing it. And I basically ripped it off his head because I said, someone's going to have a problem with you. I'm like, you're going to walk into that stadium in Norman, and this is going to be an issue. There's no doubt in my mind you can't wear that. Uh, so do they get a little bit more intense in college football towns? Yes. I think that would be the big difference. Uh, but by and large, I mean, I think sports fans are sports. All right, Liam, final couple here. Um, how important is it for you to be the most well-known uh, media person over Wolf Blitzer from the University of Buffalo? Oh, uh, this should we start? Where, you know, where is that rivalry right now? I think we should start this. I think this is where I begin to, uh, you know, display some sort of uh, real, I don't know, ferocity online. And we can get this going right now. Let's get a media rivalry, myself and Wolf Blitzer, who probably has no idea who I am. Uh, but let's get this going right now. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm putting it on you really, because you have a huge social media following and you're very active. So if you can make this happen, uh, I'll be all the merry. I'm sure in, in some ways NBC will as well. And I, I'm no doubt that my representatives will be very thrilled that you get this go. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of anti CNN, uh, Bias right now from some of the leadership in Washington. It might not be that hard to get you over, to put you over at this point, Liam, as we would say in wrestling. Well, um, I would definitely, yeah. All right. I, I, a certain segment of the population <laughs> would definitely uh, start cheering for me. Um, you know, yeah, they may not know who you are, but they'll be like, no, nah, I'm not taking prob- Blitzer. I'll take which this is guy probably away. why they'd be cheering. <laughs> um, all right, so here's the last one I want to give to you. You you have done a lot, but you are, you are a relative, not relatively, you are a young person in sports broadcasting, especially given that you are already at a national outlet um, and one of the, you know, you, you you have a destination job. And when you have a destination job, in my opinion, that is an incredible job. And you've done that, again, at a relatively early age in your broadcasting career. Are there things left at NBC that you want to do? Um, or do you look at it like, uh, I work for a great place, I have these incredible properties, and I, I just want to go with them as long as I can. No, I think there are definitely things uh, I want to do. Um, I'm all for trying new things. Uh, I, I think at some point I'd, I, you know, I'd love to be at the be involved in Triple Crown coverage. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I love doing football night. I, you know, I got to experience the, uh, you know, working with Tony and Rodney 
on Thursday night football. Uh, I think, you know, at some point I'd obviously like to be involved with working with them again. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and really the Olympics, every time you go to it, it's something different, something new. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, while I'm happy here, I'm, and uh, I may not be someone who's uh, sounding off on social media all the time. I, I'm, I'm ambitious. You know, I want to do new and different things. Uh, and I'm a huge soccer fan. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I'll regret uh, about doing football night in America is that what I used to do is I used to do the weekday games for uh, Premier League, which meant a lot of Monday games. And now because I'll be on site for football night, I will not get to do that. Uh, and I'm going to miss that a lot. You know, I, I grew up playing the sport. I love it. I'm passionate about it. Um, and I really loved working with those guys. Uh, you know, Robbie Earl, Robbie Mustone, Kyle Martino. Um, you know, the only downside to that job is that every time you're on, people know that uh, Rebecca Lowe is not on. So they're instantly disappointed that you're on. So you, you got to get over that. Uh, but to me, I think that would be something that, you know, down the road, dream scenario. Uh, I'd, I'd love to do uh, some more big time soccer coverage at some point, but I'm very happy doing what I'm doing now. So so let's finish up on this. Rebecca Lowe, who has been a guest on this podcast twice, who uh, admittedly I think is phenomenal, um, as most people. Ha- yeah. I don't think I've seen a broad, I don't think I've seen a broadcaster with that kind of like near uniform praise. Like, it, 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 you know, even the best of the best, Al Michael, some of these other guys, yeah. You know, you occasionally see pockets of criticism. Uh, you'll see that on Twitter. It is almost impossible to find criticism of Rebecca Lowe's work. So, Liam, one, why is that? And two, you have no chance of getting the Premier League. Let's be honest. Un- unless Rebecca Lowe decides to, uh, you know, move back to England and become uh, the manager of Manchester United. There is, there is no chance. Zero chance at all. Um, which is why I can say that I love doing it and I'd love to do more, but I, I know it's not going to happen. No, she, the praise she gets is rightly deserved. She's fantastic. I love watching the show. I'm, you know, it's one of those situations where you do this uh, long enough and, you know, you're, you're picking apart everyone's broadcast all the time because it's just what you've become accustomed to doing. Or you look at things you're like, oh, I like that. You know, you know maybe I can incorporate that. Uh, every, I'm a fan of Rebecca. She's, you know, she's one of the, the, the few people I can still watch. I'm like, wow, I just, I love watching her host a show, uh, her command over the whole situation. She's so at ease with everything. Uh, why? There's no reason for criticism. So I understand why there's no criticism because there's zero reason for it. Uh, I would also say that another person who's not out blasting her opinion on social media all the time. So, <laughs> it's, does not have a Twitter account, in no, fact. That's so, correct. Maybe she's onto something there. Um, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. Rebecca, and you know what? Away from it, uh, I get along really well with Rebecca. I like her a lot. She's fun. She's smart. Uh, she's hilarious. So, uh, you know, if you are – if you're someone who's criticizing her at this point, uh, especially you know, you're watching her on air and for some reason you don't like her, uh, I probably have zero in common with you. All right. Liam McHugh is the fifth most well-known person from the University of Buffalo behind Khalil Mack, uh, Wolf Blitzer, Terry Gross, and Jeremy Jacobs. Maybe Brad Gray. He might be sixth, actually. Greg Jarvis. I take that back. Liam McHugh is the seventh most well-known person oh, now wait, I think from I'm the University of Buffalo. I feel like you have to be right there. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, she's seventh for sure. Uh, Liam, uh, he, uh, more importantly than that, he serves as a host on um, many of the NBC Sports properties that you watch, including Football Night in America, where he has a new role this year. Check him out on site. Um, the NHL, of course, Notre Dame football, and you will see him at the Olympics next up in 2020 Tokyo, which would be actually an incredible Olympics. Uh, Liam, I appreciate uh, your work, and I appreciate you joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Continued success heading forward. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to all my guests, Robert Littell of Black Sports Online, Neil Best of Newsday, Scott Hansen of the NFL Network, and Liam McHugh of NBC Sports. Uh, three different conversations, but hopefully you found it interesting if you're still listening to my voice here. My guess is you did. Uh, please check out previous podcasts at uh, the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, previous guests include Adam Schefter, Chenea Gumake. We've done some roundtables, including on uh, Jamel Hill leaving ESPN, Rebecca Lowe, Brett McMurphy, Frank Isola, um, and you can check out all of Carissa Thompson and everybody else who's been a guest on this podcast since we started up again in April. Um, for uh, Lou Pellegrino, as always, I appreciate his work in putting together uh, what's a multi-part podcast on this one. Thanks to Cadence 13, and thanks for listening. See you again on the Sports Media Podcast.